you're listening to a Rogue Agents episode rebroadcast that the Longbox Crusade crew made for the other podcast network where we do a little work on Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. We encourage you to check out on Her Majesty's Secret Podcast and its feed for new episodes and additional content. We hope you enjoy these older Rogue Agents episodes re-released here on the Longbox Crusade Network. This is Simon Jowett, writer of James Bond comic books for Dark Horse, and you are listening to On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. You're listening to Rogue Agents, Episode 8, featuring Ian Fleming's James Bond, M, from Dynamite Comics. episode of the Rogue Agents Podcast, a part of On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast channel, brought to you by our fine Patreon sponsors and White Rocket Entertainment. I'm your host, Agent Dark Web. You can also call me Delvin if you're feeling nasty. Join me as co-agents are Jared Albrecht, aka Death Probe. Could you please tell me, sir, what is the most 007-like thing that you've done since last episode? Oh, oh man, it's been a while since we've done one of these. You think I would have prepared the most 007 like thing I've done since last episode? Fire pit, fire pit. I've made a fire pit. And while, you know, I don't really see Bond rolling up his sleeves, digging a hole, moving some stones and stuff to make a fire pit, I do think it'd make a great title to a Bond novel. James Bond in Fire Pit. I was going to make a cool Bond sound, and then I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, hopefully, I will have entered one there in editing. Uh, but hey, look. <laughs> That's a slide. We don't want the slide whistle. Come on. No, we don't want Daniel. We want fire pit. 007 in fire pit. That's all I got. My, my, my fire pit is baller, though. I will say that. I look good. Yeah, we saw the pictures. Jordan's getting big. I, some would say that thing is lit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if anybody under the age of 28 is listening to the show. But if so, maybe they would appreciate that. And we will move on to the man who has lit himself, Pat Sampson, a.k.a. Agent Christatos. Pat, tell us the most bond-like thing that you've done since last recording well just like agent jared i have been out and about out in the woods or at least in the parking lot close by us chopping down some trees well somebody else chopped it down for me but (laughs) uh packing it up and and tying it up and bringing it home and putting it up it was a big adventure with me and the fam and we got it in we put it up we got some lights on throw some bulbs and lights and trees and it's just awesome so just having some fun family time 
Nice, nice. At first, I thought you were pulling off some Hendrix there. Yeah. Well, I'm standing next to a mountain. I was gonna try to go with the back of my hand. <laughs> I was gonna try, you know, to go skiing. I thought that's where we we're going, but that didn't happen. Mm. Do you have presents under that tree yet? No, not yet. Okay, I'm gonna send you one uh, and a special with a special bow, and you must never touch it. Yeah, I- I'm waiting for Christmas to come because you know. Nope. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> and with that excellent he finish, dangled it he dangled it <laughs> he dangled it and we will walk away from it and we will walk instead to agent weasel skull jason albrecht jason please tell us the most bond-like thing that you have done since last recording try to remember have we ever seen james bond rake leaves Nah, probably not that <laughs> not too glamorous Actually, we saw Leaf Raker. <laughs> she was raking the leaves. License to kill. No, actually, now yeah. really exciting news, fellas. I was looking up this uh, place called Interpreso Albania. And the Interpreso Albania, you know, they have like this gorgeous, gorgeous hotel, and you can do gambling. They got a great casino, beautiful scenic sites, lots of beautiful women. So I got tickets there. I'm going to be going there from December 17th through December 30th. So look for me from Interpreso, Albania. <laughs> I think you're coming. Sounds fun. I think he's coming to visit me at Enterprise, Alabama. Oh, <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> we'll see you at Christmas, Jason. <laughs> oh, man, I put in the wrong. I thought it was Interpreso, Albania. <laughs> Uh, I guess I'm going to Enterprise Alabama. Uh, Alabama. You know, <laughs> we know you're not the best with computers. You know, <laughs> missing letters here. Let Millennial Q book that right. ticket for you. <laughs> I did let Millennial Q book the ticket for me. That's the problem. <laughs> I have this magical app. It's called Orbits, <laughs> <laughs> and it's not the gum. <laughs> I saw you. You downloaded that app. <laughs> All right, all right. Before I get us carried away too much, this episode is the eighth episode of our ongoing series on this channel called MI6 Rogue Agents, where we traverse the 007 universe. That can mean books. That can mean music. That can mean video games. Essentially, any medium that connects to the Bond franchise that we love so much here on Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. So before we get started, I do have a question since we are going to be talking about Ian Fleming's James Bond 007M, the Dynamite comic book. And I wanted to ask the fellas, what's their favorite M memory from the Bond franchise? You know, I mean, M is a very seminal character in the Bond universe. There are plenty of pretty good memories to choose from. Since he's off mute, I'll start with Jason. Jason, tell us, what, what's your best or most cherished M memory in the Bond franchise? That is really hard. I mean, there's some good ones from all of them. I'm tempted to go with the very first meeting between Judy Dench's M and Pierce. That was memorable. I got to go old school. I got to go Bernard Lee. And my favorite moment, makes me laugh every time, is from Russia with Love. When they're sitting in there listening to that recording, Daniela Bianchi says, oh, James, am I as beautiful as all those, or as exciting as all those other women? And Bond says, well, there was this time with Em and I in Tokyo. And, and Em's like, 
that part still cracks me up every time i think that's my my favorite m moment fantastic jared what about you i saw you thinking yeah i was really heavily leaning towards that one that jason picked uh, he got the funny one so i i will take it will also be bernard lee a more character moment a more i don't know emotional moment if you will but it will be Majesty's Secret Service, where Bond tendered his resignation, but Money Penny intercepted it and turned it into a leave request. But M knew that. Because remember when James says, What would I do without you, Money Penny? And then he leaves, and then the M comes on the speakerphone and goes, What would I do without you, Miss Money Penny? <laughs> Thank you. And I was like, mm, Nailed it. <laughs> nailed it, Bernard. You nailed it. Nice. Very nice. Hat. Tell us what you got. I do like Bernard Lee, but I think th- those guys. Took some of the good the good parts of it. I'm gonna go with the Dench, the Dame, Judy Dench. Uh, having them switch to a woman M was a pretty cool thing to do, and just that interaction between her and Bond. I really liked Skyfall, where you see in a little sweeter side of her and how much her and Bond have grown together, and all that went on uh, at the end of Skyfall. I really liked that part. Cool. Y'all took some good ones. The very I'll think of the very first. And Dr. No, when we are first introduced to him and just the dynamic that was set up where Bond tried to get familiar with him. And he's like, we're not friends. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just that I means just the tone was set immediately of like, yep, I see you're trying to strike a friendship with me. Nope, I am your M and you are my agent. And that is how things go. And it wasn't done in a jerk type way or anything it was just done in a matter of fact like this is the way things are going to be understand and james immediately understood that nope not going to be any cozying up to you this is going to be a professional relationship and i really enjoyed that from a leadership perspective loved it what was really cool about that too is it wasn't just what he said it's how he he acted and i remember when him starting to put the tobacco on his pipe and then bond reaches out with his lighter and him just ignores him and grabs the match that says it all right there. yeah yeah loved it you brought up a good example of how they both kind of respected each other but they also tried to one-up each other too with i remember bond telling him about where the whiskey or whatever was from and the blend and all that and he was just kind of one one up in him like that. <laughs> I don't think M ever had the tolerance for Bond's little show offs. So. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I believe Colonel Smithers is giving the lecture 007. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was very much a I'd say father-son relationship. I think that's a fair thing to say. And it absolutely yeah. was a mother-son relationship when the Dame took over. Both Bernard Lee and Dame. Like, I mean, Bernard was the first, I would say the best, but I mean, Judy came in just and filled the shoes admirably. And regardless, M is an amazing character. So thank you, gentlemen, for that discussion. Now, let's get to our subject for this episode, which is Ian Fleming's James Bond 007. M, that is the title. The publisher is Dynamite Comics. The cover date was February 2018. And the cover price was $4.99. The writer was Declan Shalvey. The artist was PJ Holden with colors by Deerbla Kelly 
with letters by Simon Boland. Cover credits go to Declan Shalvey and Jordy Belair. And here's the plot description. The day starts out like any other for M, chewing out a 004 bungle, when Moneypenny delivers a mysterious package to M that sends him on a journey into the past. A former Army colleague of M's, Sammy, is cashing in a favor that M, for whatever reason, is obligated to honor. The location of listed IRA informants from a peace agreement that closed out a long-ago war. Will M compromise his position and integrity by giving Sammy this information? Or will M find a way to give Sammy everything he wanted and then some? I'll ask first to the guys, is this a first read or reread of this comic? And I'll start with Pat. It's a first read for me, Delvin. Oh, nice. What about you, Jared? It is a reread for me, sir. Oh. Well, that's okay. Uh, you know, it's all right. You, you're going to bring extra perspective. I'm going to ask extra questions. So you be ready. Be prepared. Huh? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, uh, reread or first read for you? Uh, it's a reread for me as well. Okay. All right. So we got some semi-familiar to it because it's a reread for me as well because I picked the book, but that's okay. We'll get into this and we can talk about some highs and lows. And Pat, since you have not read this before, the rest of us have a little bit of experience. You start us off. I'm going to go with uh, high is I like how they bring in M right away. Like, as you mentioned that he's chewing out Agent 00. Five, I believe it was. It was. Chewed out for bungling and, and doing all that. How they show that he's, you know, a tough guy, tough character to deal with, strict and all that. And then you just have this character background that, you know, what really happened? Why? What's going on here? And as the story unfolds, you start to understand how he owes this guy something, but how in the end... M has already turned it around and he must have did it a while, a long, I would think a, a while ago at the ending of what happens with the lady. I don't know if I can do some spoilers here. You absolutely can spoil it. Go yeah. ahead. You know, finding that the lady's still alive and he, you know, he must have been in contact with her and, you know, worked everything out and made his peace. But trying to figure all that out, I thought it was overall just a great character piece for M that I never would have looked for or, or noticed before. I tell you what it told me about him is that one, he didn't get to where he is. No one just handed him that job. He earned it clearly. Two, he's a very, very thoughtful man. He doesn't make mistakes without finding a way to figure out how to make amends for those mistakes. Very good character, definitely. And I see Jason nodding. So, Jason, it's your turn. Give me a high or a low. Or what the, have you got that? I'll start it off with a high as well. And let's talk about the other supporting character in here, Miss Moneypenny. Mm -hmm. This book shows the relationship again between him and Miss Moneypenny, how much he relies on her, how much he trusts her. Yet he still tries to protect her yeah. by not giving her all the information or keeping some information from her so that she would be protected. She's smart enough to know that something's up, but she has to make a determination on the spot whether she's going to blindly support her boss or protect herself. No hesitation there at all. You know, yeah. she does what he needs to do. He's looking out for her. She's looking out for him. 
And even though it only happens, you know, on a few panels, those few panels told me a lot about the relationship between him and Miss Money Pit. Yeah, you're not going to exactly stick your neck out for somebody who just going to plunge a dagger in your back when you do it. Right. And for Money Penny to do what she did showed that there was a lot of trust there. And then also another thing that she could have done, she has a relationship with James and I'm, I would imagine any number of double O's. She could have sent them in to the rescue and she did. She, right. let, she let him handle himself. And even to the extent that when she made the phone call about maybe two thirds towards the end of the book and he didn't return that phone call, she could have, again, sent the cavalry in and she didn't. She waited. And right. even though that may have cost him his life. So, yeah, Money Penny was an excellent integral part of this book. And then at the end of the book, when he comes back into the office, it's just business as usual. Not a word of it spoken between them. Nothing has to be said. I thought it was just beautiful. Yeah, I have something I want to add to that. But we've talked a lot and hadn't given Death Probe over there a chance to talk. So please, Jared, please tell us what do you have for the book? I have a high for Declan Shalvey, the writer. James Bond has changed its look and feel in many ways since 1962 when Dr. No came on the big screen. You said this was, I think, a 2018 book, Delvin? Yep. From 1962, 2018 is... 46 years. Somebody get Laurel. Check the radius. 46 years? Yes. My point is this, and it's building off of what Jason said. We've had 46 years of different iterations, different actors, move, shake. We have a very different M and a very different money penny here in this book as to the way they looked in 62. We have a black M. We have a black money penny. But what I want to do with this high is say, if you if you close your eyes and just thought of Bernard Lee and Lois Maxwell, it's the same dang thing. He Bottom line, he gets the characters. Yeah, They are the characters that we've known from 62 all the way to now. I just think that's great. You know, as a longtime Bond fan, when these comics first came out, and I was like, oh, okay, M's a black dude. Let's see how they play that. Well, they play a pro- He's M. He's 100%, he's 100% M. He is what he needs to be. And to take this interesting backstory into his history, I think is great. They do the same thing with Money Penny. Of course, I think that was a little easier because they turned that corner in the Daniel Craig era yeah, they did. already. But no, the characterization is just spot on. Like I said, you could you could redraw this with, with Bernard Lee and Lois Maxwell if you wanted to, and it'd still be a wonderful story. But I do really like the fact that they've, uh, even though the actors and the look, you know, male to female to older to younger, whatever, they have held on to the characters really well and Declan did a great job of just tuning into that so it was wonderful it was truly wonderful can I push you a little bit on that Jared because this was going to be something I was going to I was thinking about saying it as a low but if I just bring it up now I can give it another high which I would much rather do one thing that bothered me about it was in the beginning of the book when he's reaming out 005 and he kicks the chair out from under him I know that too that didn't sit well with that. Me. That was the one little thing that I was like, nah. I thought I, I thought it was a good part because it showed how clumsy and how not on yeah, his game double five was. But it makes him You wouldn't small. you see that coming? Yeah. Like, it, what does he gain from that? Yeah, the guy, the guy was, was cocky, cocky. But, but James Bond is cocky. And, how, and we've seen him in how many movies and has he ever 
Yeah, he doesn't I'm even have to get up from behind his desk. To- I'm more with Pat. I mean, I because I it's it. one thing to be cocky and you didn't screw up. <laughs> when James Bond has messed up, James Bond hadn't walked into the office acting like he's the cock of the walk. He at least has the good common sense to put his head down and, and kind of tuck yeah. his tail between his legs a little bit. And 005 was kind of like, look, I'd save the Duchess. What do you want? Like, As they had a drink in his hand and all that. And yeah, like, oh, hey. yeah, what do you want? I want you to not be a freaking screw up. That's what I want. I was kind of a two minds about it, too, because the other thing I thought was like, well, this is a different him. This is a different character. So I have to give the writer the ability to not just make a carbon copy of him. And this book does have him be a little more physical in a couple of different places. Mm-hmm. And you get his back history. So he was a soldier. He was kind of a frontline soldier. So he's kind of a badass of his own. You know, I was kind of walking that fine line. But, you know, when Jared brought that up, it's like, you know, maybe it's different for you two because you guys have this you yeah. know, long standing how M should be, how, yeah, you know, all that where, you know, Maybe Dylan and I come in at a different view because we you know, we've gotten the chance to just watch them all the way through really quick and you know not have to wait and play these old mind games that we have. But you get the backstory in this of M, you know, down the road. But when I first started reading this, I'm like, whoa, you know, this guy's really, you know, again, I thought Double O Five's like he's cocky, you know. And then what what could M really do to him to prove his point? I have no beef at all with M berating him. You know, reading him the riot act, take away his license, put him on, you know, whatever. It's just, I, I think it's bad leadership, period. I mean, you go out of your way to essentially physically assault your employee you already lost. Like, that's no, you don't, you don't have the high ground there at all. I don't care how cocky the guy's being, what a jerk he's being. That was a little over the top for me, but the point was made. I don't remember who made it. You know, it's not a carbon copy. And, you know, maybe he's a little more physical. I like to see my M always in control and squared by the letters. But yeah, that one moment was odd for me too, Jason. What I want to add to that is, I mean, we see James Bond mess up from time to time, but again, we have not seen a situation where he bungled things so badly and then went back into M's office acting like a complete tool about it. Yeah, that's true. I would say that if this M, and we've already agreed that he's pretty much been established, he could almost be replaced for Bernard Lee, that if Bernard Lee were ever put in a position like that, again, I don't think, I mean, he didn't like punch the double O. He kicked the chair to probably get him to to sit up straight. I mean, I, I think it's a slight difference. And I think even then, seeing as how, smart and reserved that M was throughout the entire book, that that was a double O who had pushed him to his absolute limit and wanted him to fly straight. And it took an extraordinary circumstance for him to get to that point, not just a run of the mill. You know, this is my normal way of operating. I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. No, I appreciate you guys uh, letting me hijack this a little bit because that way I don't have to bring it up as a low on my, (laughs) on my round. The only good discussion, good discussion, even though I'm right and everybody else is wrong. The <laughs> only thing that I wanted to add is at the end of the book, where Money Penny and M kind of look at each other and they go about their day. That is the thing that we'll never really know about the movies, right? 
we see James come in the, the room and he's the handsome guy and his mission is going on and everything, but we don't know what happens when he goes out on those missions. What is M doing? And so the opportunities for sequels mm-hmm. to this are limitless. Who knows how many oh, yeah. adventures that M has had? Who knows how many yeah. adventures Money Penny has had while James is out and about doing whatever he was doing? So I found that part of it fascinating. Yeah, right. and, and you've pulled my string one more time. Uh, <laughs> we did get a little glimpse into that at the beginning of Tomorrow Never Dies, where James is at the Arms Bazaar, steals the plane, trying to get the plane out that has the nukes on them. Mm-hmm. If you remember, M was actually in the ops room mm-hmm. on that one. And that we'd never really seen, you know, M sort of live watching what Bond's doing before. And I, that was great. That was great character stuff because, you know, you saw that concern when she thought he was dead for just a second. Yeah. And yeah. and it was like, uh, yeah, it was definitely cool. But I get your bigger picture there, Delvin, just totally opening the door to this character. You know, what's he up to? You know, the entry, we got to see Gareth Mallory's M doing some of that, you that's, know, yeah, political yeah. stuff uh, yep. behind the yeah. scenes. There's, yeah. so, there, there's so much there. But that's I exactly think, what you were saying, Delvin. Yeah, that brings up a good thing, Jared, of uh, you bring up Gareth Mallory's uh, M. I think he would maybe be this kind of an M, a little more action-y M. You guys are right that in the films, we don't see a lot of M doing a lot besides sitting behind a desk or, or doing a little bit of that. Most of the movie is all about James. So you get maybe 15 minutes or whatever of, of an M, you know, especially Bernard Leeds M. How much airtime did he really get to? It was something like 30 minutes total yeah, or something like that. To really give you that film. character mm-hmm. of what M is and you know how did M get there? Yeah, I think that there is a lot of potential. Uh, why am I blanking on the actor who played Mallory, who's now the new M? Ray, Ray Fines. I have no idea if they would ever branch off, kind of like Star Wars did with Solo and Rogue One. If James Bond ever did that again, I think the potential would be limitless. TV show, movie, it would be fantastic. And you have Ray Fines, who's a young enough actor, he could 100% pull that off. Well, you brought it up earlier in the conversation, Delvin, when you said that, you know, him didn't just fall into this job. He's made connections. He has a history. He has made enemies. There are people all around him that are looking to take advantage of him and cash in on his position. And this book really just kind of sums up like one facet of this. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of other skeletons in that closet. That's oh, yeah. Happens. It gets to a point where... If you are at a high enough political position, somebody's in your back pocket, Mm -hmm. period. You didn't get there alone. That's just the way of the world. And so it's interesting to see who was in M's back pocket and how M got him out of his back pocket. (laughs) (laughs) Let's, Let's do one more round. Pat, do you have any highs or lows or additions? I'm just going to give an addition on to the story, as Jared mentioned. When I first read this, I'm like, okay, this is going to be a little longer one. Might be a little kind of just a lot of wordy, wordy, wordy stuff going on here. But no, it wasn't. I was like a couple pages in. I'm like, okay, let's go. Turning the page, turning the page. And I think I read almost more than halfway through because I was reading it really late at night. Just like when I watched the Bond movies and all that, I would, you know, kind of read it and watch them late at night. So if it kept my interest, you know, then I knew it. there's something really good going on here in the storytelling of this one. And so kudos to the storytelling on this. The art was great as well, too, which helped 
pull that story together with the character faces and the moods that it was setting kind of pulled it all together for me. Tell you what, I thought the book was longer. I almost want it to be, which is yeah, not yeah. something you really say about comic. Like, I, it got to the end, and I'm like, hey, hold up. There's like 10 more pages. Like, <laughs> These are house ads? Son of a gun. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. like, at first I was like, deal with this son of a Oh, man. Jason, one of the reasons I really enjoy doing this show and kind of like why I like doing the Long Box Crusade, too, is it gives me a chance to go back and reread this book. I remember reading it when it first came out. It was in my subscription box. So I had a pile of comics and I kind of tore through it. And I was like, "Eh, okay, no James Bond. Read through it real fast. And it didn't really stick with me. But since you picked it for this show, and my first instinct was like, oh, why didn't you pick Solstice, man? That's a more fun, fun issue. But I was like, all right, I'll read this again. I remember it was political. There was some stuff. And I actually got to sit down and pay attention to it and read mm-hmm. through it. And man, it was so much better the second time. And Pat captured it. The history, the art, it just really made you feel like. I haven't been to Northern Ireland, and I certainly wasn't there during the Troubles, but Boy, the artist really captured the essence and the grit and the mm-hmm. grime and the frustration and the anger and the just, oh, the place just seemed like it was always about ready to burst into flame. It just really was captured well in that book. So hats off to both the writer and the artist for putting together a great political thriller. Yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed it. Declan Shalvey and... PJ Holden, yeah, they did put together a really good story. And I wish, much like when we had Bob Q on a few episodes back, I wish that we maybe could have gotten PJ's perspective on it to see what he did when it came to his research for the landscapes and everything that he did. Jared is raising his hand. I think he has something to tell us. In the hardback edition, which is how I'm reading this, which is very affordable, by the way, it's got a cover price of $24.99, but they're usually less than 20 bucks on Amazon. It comes in a, the James Bond 007 Case Files hardcover. In that, there's bonus material, and the writer, Declan Shelby, he does a page-by-page notes on the book. Ooh. And he oh. goes into that. He talks about how they picked a, an actual pub. They put the crown and the tiles. The Remember crown, that right? scene where, where M yeah. goes around? They put that in there on purpose so that they could walk over the queen as they were going to the pub as a kind of an FU. But, you know, the M's not going to do that. And the train station, the big domed train station when he gets there, the dark woods, all real locations scouted by the artist with real reference. So, yeah, oh, wow. it, we're feeling that and we've never even been there. Yeah. So, wow. Right? I, re- <laughs> I really like, as we talk about that, you have the one panel on the left of the really, you know, the bombed out under wires and all that of a bar. And then what it looks like now a days and just that contrast really puts you in the mood and, and understands just like Jason said, just what was going on at that time. Nice. Jason, did you have anything else to add for pass it to Jared? I just think it was a great writer artist combo. Nice. Jared, wrap us up, man. Okay, I want to do a quick tack on to the art comment that Jason made. Delville, could you do me a favor and remind me who the colorist was? It was a real unique name. Deerbla Kelly. Great, great, great color work using different palettes for modern days and flashback scenes. And I definitely want to point out, and this actually wasn't in the bonus materials, but I just thought it was great, how the lady in the pink dress was important. 
Mm-hmm. And if you go back and watch those scenes and there's all this fog and smoke bombs and all that, the colorist always makes the girl in the pink dress pop. You mm-hmm. always can track where she's at because she's important to the story. I thought that is very clever coloring work. So just a quick add on for the colorist did a wonderful job for my final round officially here. I would say it's a high and a low kind of at the same time. We have a political thriller here. It's, it's all about the troubles in North Ireland, Belfast. It's made by creators from Ireland. So it's like they already know a ton and we don't. I wish I'd known more of how this played out. I have a decent amount of knowledge from it just because Jason and I, you know, grew up in Europe in the 80s. So there was some awareness of what was going on there. So that's kind of a low that it seemed very sort of local. It's like, hey, we got these Irish creators telling this Irish story for a very Irish audience. And you almost feel left out, like what's going on? But then you flip that on its ear as a high because they're not spoon feeding the story. It's not a history lesson. You're kind of putting little puzzle pieces together as you go. So on one hand, I wish I understood the situation better than I did to fully appreciate the book. But on the other hand, I think the storytellers did enough of giving us what we needed to understand the situation. So it was complex. I think they did about the best job you could. I'm kind of glad you said that, though, Jerry, because I think that's what, like I mentioned the first time that I read it, I didn't really fully grasp what was going on. And I think that's kind of why I just like, I read the words, I went through it. And I was like, okay, M's kind of a clever guy and got over on this guy, did something and something. Yeah, I feel so. You know, and I put it away. But as I was preparing for this show, I was like, no, I've got to actually take some time and examine the panels and look at the characters and understand what's going on and read the words carefully. So you're right. They don't spoon feed it to you. But I think the pieces are there. They do make you take your time and go through it, particularly if you're not a subject matter expert on the Irish Troubles. Same experience for me, Jason. I vaguely remembered the story. And of course, I read it a little you know, harder for the podcast. And I think it did come to life a little more when you paid more attention. They told you enough about the history. You know, if, if you go too far, it's a book report. And it's like... Ugh. True. True. Do I really need this history and everything? I just want to know about him and what's going on. But you definitely got a sense that the troubles weren't a great time. And M was just put in the most compromising position where he had an officer who just hung him out to dry. And it wasn't even for a military objective. That's the worst thing about it. So, yeah, they told you a little bit about the past, about the history to set up the fact that M was put in a compromising position. And that is a part of the whole tapestry that makes M who he is. I think they spread it out good enough too. They just didn't give you a big dump of it. They gave you bits and pieces of it as the story unfolded and on M and and why he was there and what was happening. I, I think that's what really helped move this along. Yep. Well, I would commend you all for an excellent discussion. And now we will go to the rating of this book. Just a reminder to the audience of the rating system here on Rogue Agents. We rate things on a scale of one to seven martinis. A seven martini score means that you loved it. It shook your martini as a martini should be prepared. Six means excellent. Five, very good. Four, good. Three, just okay. Two, not so good. And one, you hated it. It stirred your martini, which is a way a martini should never be prepared. Jared, what would you rate 
Ian Fleming's James Bond 007M. Oh, man, that's a tough one. What I'm going to do is preface this with I'm going to stay within the comic book universe. Hammerhead was my favorite storyline. I was big on Felix Leiter, too. I'd probably give those sevens. So looking at the M, I liked Solstice a little better than this one. So I give Solstice a six. I'd say this one's a solid five. Very good. I'm going very good on it. Five. Okay. Jason, what would you rate this? I think I probably would have rated it a four when I read it originally. I'm going to bump it too full. I really enjoyed it more. And I think just the fact that we had such a robust discussion about it made me realize how much I missed the first time. So I'm going to go six. I'm going to give this one six. Nice. Pat? I am going to also give it a bump to six because with the discussion here and Again, was a book that I'm like, okay, I got to read this book, M, and eh, what's you know, it's going to be talky talky and all that. But it wasn't. It really took me really by surprise, and I was just like, man, I got to figure out, you know, how the story ends, and just gives me a little more respect for M and perspective on him. So uh, I'm bumping it up. It was a good, excellent story. The reason that I got this book was because of you guys talking about the Bond universe and you were talking about how good the Dynamite Comics books were. So on a free comic book day, I think it was 2018, went to Heroes Aren't Hard to Find here in Charlotte. After I got the free swag, went around the store and went looking for some books and I saw James Bond 007M sitting there, good looking cover. You know, having him in the background and a dark cover and everything with the red of the British flag. And it was nice. And so I said, what the heck? I'm going to give this a shot. And then reading and then seeing the ending of how him flipped, it was like, oh, man, diabolical. And it definitely shows you the strong character that M is. I enjoyed it a lot. And I got it as a result of then rookie agents that we were doing. So it was a good opportunity to bring it to Rogue Agents. I'm at a six on it because I remembered vividly the ending. I remember what M did to turn it around, and it's everything that M should be. There's a reason that a man like that is able to stay ahead of a man like 007. (laughs) You got to be just that much sharper than him, and sitting at a desk, no less, when you've got that agent, that dynamic agent out in the field. So it was a very enjoyable read, and I'm glad that all of y'all enjoyed it as well. Basically, Delvin read it right the first time. (laughs) (laughs) I read it right the first time thanks to you guys. Seriously, it was because you guys recommended the Dynamite line of comics for uh, James Bond. So it it was because of you guys that I gave it the gravity that it deserved, and I'm glad that y'all went back to it and, and found the same gravity. I think there is a difference with the way me and Delvin look at things. You know, we're trying to soak it in and and bring it in and understand it because we're still new at all this extra stuff where you guys have been in the, you know, you guys have been in the field for quite a long time now. That's true. I think I can't speak for Jason, but he can chime in. I do feel like, you know, like we alluded to earlier, we were raised on Bernard Lee. That is my standard when I pick up a comic that says M on it. And Mm -hmm. I think they did a great job. They did not knock down the reputation of the character of M one bit. In fact, I think they enhanced it. And wow, I mean, what higher compliment can we pay? Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I think they definitely took a character, like Delvin said, that maybe got 30 minutes of total screen time in the Bond films, gave him his own uh, adventure in this, and definitely let that carrot dangling suggesting, yeah, there's more stories out there. And it speaks, again, to him that 
He was on, who knows, 30 minutes to an hour across all of those years. And if someone said, yeah, we're going to make a comic book about him, you're like, yeah, that's a totally good idea. As opposed to, no, there's not even enough material. Like, no, there's plenty. And just that little bit of screen time was enough that you could come up with a full run of material about this. Like, I mean, you could have five, six, multiple year run of M books and it would be perfectly plausible. I'm writing the story now about what he and James Bond were up to in Tokyo. I I write in an eight issue miniseries about the Minister of Defense. And all he ever says is, hmm. (laughs) 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 And with that, we will pass it over to our network founder, Van Plexico, to thank all of the Patreon sponsors who make this show possible. So just go to www.plexico.net, P-L-E-X-I-C-O.net, or you can just go to patreon.com and search for White Rocket and join up. And it's for as little as a dollar a month, you get to be part of the show. And we send out, we, I post things occasionally on the Patreon page of interest, and you get previews, you get special deals, special offers, and discounts on things that we do. And you sometimes get shows before the uh, the regular audience does. Here are the fine folks who are currently keeping our programs on the air that we owe everything to. Samuel Salvatore and Bart Lindsay, uh, Bradley Blackman, Brian Gray, Chris Usher, Gary Grant, Logan Chilton, Phil Amthor, Richard Stevens, Steve Trawick, Susan Trawick, Tom Anderson, Willie Carden, and Tangian. Hey, you falling up? Ben Bloodsworth, Clay Henson, Dan Thompson, Daniel Odom, David Evers, David Hegler, Emmanuel Seaman, George Gaston, Jacob and Robin Fleming, James Greenwell, Joel Beckham, John Otsuki, Catherine England, Kevin Smith, Mickey B, Phil Davis, Preston Settle, Reynolds Wolf, Rich Reimer, Steve Harlan, Timothy, WDE Richie, Wes Atkinson, William Morgan, Wilson Beard, Winston Body, Alex Nguyen, Blake Heron, Boris the Tiger, Cato the Barner, Chris Hilton, Chris Thrash, Colby Butler, Danny Flack, Plus, Darius Benton, David Simpson, Dibama, Earl Ricks, Eric Mahan, Hugh Anderson, Josh Teal, Kevin Kenoy, Kevin Mahan, Lane Middleton, Mike Finley, Papa Todd, Randall Walker, Rob Morgan, Ross, Russell Milling, Shannon Butson, Sarah Hines, Shane Bailey, Snowdog, Stephen Houston, Tim Pittman, Todd Gray, Tony Perry, Auburn Elvis, Ben Amos, Brandon Sisson, Brandon Smith, Chris Camo, Darren Pyle, David Smiley, Donnie Reynolds, Plus, Ivor Evans, James Taylor, Jason Albrecht, John Stubbs, John Zavachin, Joey Miller, Joseph Iliff, Justin Bean, Lawrence Kane, Mark Squire, Matthew Flowers, Mick Vigicana, Nicholas Craig, Patrick Williams, Paul Bankson, Robert Drain, Robert O. Sammons, Russell Souther, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, that's the truth, Ruth, Spanky, Stephen Thompson, Trevor Johnson, Kenneth Brent Rains, Brant Rumble, and Chris Plus, our one-time and anonymous donors, we thank you all so much. Go to www.plexico.net or just go to www.patreon.com and sign up and join the family. And that's the show. As a reminder to our audience, if you'd like to be a part of the show, you can send us your questions, comments, or trivia challenges to ohmspod at outlook.com or over on our Twitter page, at O-H-M-S-P-O-D. If you'd like, you can even use the email as a reminder, that's O-H-M-S-P-O-D at Outlook.com to send us an audio recording of your question or comments, and we might even play it on the show. 
Please try to keep your audio file to around 30 seconds or less. And we would love to hear from you and make you a part of the show. Also, if you're an iTunes listener, we would greatly appreciate it if you left a review for the show. That will help raise the show's profile to attract more of the 007 family to this program. As a reward for leaving a review, we will read your entire review on an upcoming episode of MI6 Rogue Agents. I'd just like to thank the lads for joining me on today's episode and giving me a rousing discussion and making things relatively easy for me as the host. Relatively. Don't get too much of a big head, guys. And before we go, let's find out where the listeners can find you all on the internet. We will start with Jared. Thank you, Delvin, and I'm glad you asked. During your discussion there, I was on the internets, and I looked up a little something. Oh? Uh, You know how there was talk for a while about Idris Elba being James Bond? Yes. He's currently Mm -hmm. 48. He's not going to be the next Bond. He's already said he's not going to be. So let's say the next Bond does a 10-year stint. So he'd be 58 at the end of that. So guess who I'd like to see him play when he gets into about 58 years old? <laughs> you you, you uh, want Idris to play him. That would be dope, Bolly. Yeah, that would be good. Did you not see yeah, him yeah, yeah. like an older Idris Elba in the storyline? I can see a lot of ladies just going to the movie and just like, put, put Idris Black on. I just want to see him. <laughs> <laughs> I like Idris. I might. Uh, never mind. Anyway, <laughs> he's not him. He's mm. <laughs> just saying. Let's put those vibes out there. Maybe in uh, in ten years' time, we can have Idris as him. That would be cool. Anyways, back to my information. <laughs> I can be found Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Yard Sale Artist. What about you, Pat? Well, Jared, I am glad you asked. I can be found at Christatos zero one. On the Twitter, Jason. I can be found at Weasel Skull on Twitter or Jason Albrick on Facebook and Instagram. Delvin. I can be found on Twitter at D-E-E underscore R-A-Y 1977. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of MI6 Rogue Agents. If you've enjoyed this crew and want to hear more from them, but in the realm of comic books, check out the Longbox Crusade. Pat, where can that be found? Mm, Delvin, let me tell you. Yeah. Thank you for asking, by the way. <laughs> you can find the Longbox Crusade at www.longboxcrusade.com, or we can also be found on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Longbox Crusade. Back to you, Delvin. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Pat. I, I feel like I need to be more dressed for some reason. And thank you to the fellows for taking on yet another dangerous mission. Thanks to the listeners who tuned in. If you'd like to leave a question or comment on this or any other episodes, feel free to contact the show on Twitter at OHMSPod or email us at OHMSPod at Outlook.com. We hope to hear from you soon. The next episode of MI6 Rogue Agents will feature Jared's choice. But on a Majesty's Secret podcast, we'll return. This episode features the James Bond Goldeneye 007 Trap Remix by The Whiddler.
I really yeah, enjoyed yeah. the one panel where you have. I think it's Jason's turn, actually. No. <laughs> I, I defer to you, sir. So ignore, ignore him. Keep going. <laughs> Unless y'all got something else to add, I'm just going to go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, just this. Mm. Ah. Mm. Ah, yes, there is that. Ah. Think that guy's name is Fred Gray. Freddie Gray is the name of the actor. Frederick Gray. Yeah. <laughs> How do I know that? That's so weird. Mm. <laughs>